Uh, Today, we're going to start a new series that's in the book of Ephesians. And the title of this series is called Sit, Walk, and Stand. And what this talks about is how we sit in the presence of our Lord. And we need to sit there before we can walk. And as we walk out our faith, then we can stand in the truths of God's word against the enemy. And Paul, he's writing this inspiring letter to the Ephesians, and he's opening their eyes to this process of the blessings of Christian living. It's about sitting. It's about our position in Christ. And he's writing this to inspire and strengthen the believers in Ephesus in their Christian walk in faith. He's explaining the nature of the church and the body of Christ, how we stand on God's words, the truths of God's word with our enemy, and how we stand against the enemy with God's word. And Paul's letters are intimate, and they're tied together with great themes like God's love and God's grace. And in this letter, Paul will share with us the spiritual blessings that they have in Christ, which are cause for them to praise and glorify God. This letter to the Ephesians presents us with a moving summary of a new life to which we've been called in Christ. And I want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks as we study this book, this letter that Paul wrote, to read that on your own. It's six chapters. It's very, very good. It's very encouraging. So I want to encourage you to do that. It won't take long to do that. But Ephesians is one of the four prison epistles. Since they are thought that uh, Paul had written these during his years of imprisonment in Caesarea and Rome, Paul was a devoted rabbi and became a leader of the anti-Christian movement. And we all know that, right? But in the midst of these activities... Saul, it was his name, was arrested by Jesus Christ, and he was converted to being Paul. That's why sometimes Paul opens his letters saying, a prisoner of Christ. He was arrested by Jesus Christ. And the other prison epistles that he wrote were Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And these letters, this letter was written probably about 61, 62 AD and was delivered by Tychicus. Ephesus was one of the five major cities in the Roman Empire, along with Rome, Corinth, Antioch, and Alexandria. Ephesus in Paul's time was a chief city in Asia Minor. It was a thriving seaport and the hub of the area of commerce for the eastern Aegean. And I have a picture up here of it, and you'll see right down there, that's where Ephesus was. And this was a very important city. Ephesus was extremely large and had influence in the surrounding areas because of its position. And the church in Ephesus was a dominant church within the region. And Paul had an intimate association there. He had founded this church on his second missionary journey there. And he spent more than two years in Ephesus on his third missionary trip. And here's where Paul did a lot of growing and maturing in his faith. And this was certainly a very special letter for Paul. The purpose of this letter was to learn about spiritual blessings. And he sent this to the church for encouragement, to strengthen the believers in Ephesus on their Christian faith and explain the nature and the purpose of God's church, the body of Christ, and that Christ is the center of it all. 
This letter has a different structure than his other letters. In Ephesians, it's not addressed to a specific problem because Paul usually would address the churches with a problem that they were going through. This one was not like that. Rather, this was structured like a grand sermon, if you will. And Paul's pulling all his thoughts and his feelings together to summarize his hope, looking forward to the great joy and unity for the church that he has served for such a long time. And this letter is divided into different sections, and it's customary for Paul to do that. We'll look at the doctrinal section and the practical sections. They are really closely woven together in this letter. And what Paul is saying is that we, as Christ followers, we have a position, and that position is we sit in the presence of God. The wealth of the believer, sitting and learning, growing and being transformed in the likeness of Christ. Our wealth is in the cross. That's where it is. And then we walk out our faith as believers, walking and growing in our faith, and then standing firm on the truths of God's word against the enemy in this world. And and the word of God is our riches in Christ. God's word is our riches. The wealth of the believers is this sitting and learning and growing. And this is what we're going to cover today in the section of Scripture, our spiritual wealth. But I have a story for you first. How many of you have ever heard of Hetty Green? Anybody heard of Hetty Green? Nobody? It's interesting because last night I had like 10 people heard of Hetty Green. Nine o'clock, nobody. This service, nobody. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Hetty Green, okay? She died in 1916, and she left an estate of over $100 million. She had gone down in, hist- in American history as America's greatest miser, right? She ate cold oatmeal because it cost too much for her to heat it up, and her son got a disease in his leg and had to have his leg amputated because she waited so long looking for a free clinic to take him to. She was very wealthy, but she chose to live like a pauper. All this wealth was at her disposal. Eccentric, certainly. Crazy, perhaps. She was so foolish that she caused her own death death while having a stroke, arguing the value of drinking skimmed milk. Think about that. Hetty Green is an illustration of how, many believe, how too many believers live their lives today. As believers, we have limitless wealth at our disposals, and yet we live like paupers. And what do I mean by that? We have unlimited wealth in Jesus Christ our spiritual wealth that we have. Our wealth is found in the cross. And how can we live a spiritually healthy and wealthy and fruitful life in Christ? We're going to see that as we open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. As you open your Bibles, and we'll get there, we'll look at this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from our God, from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, Paul sees this as a great honor to serve the Lord because Paul knew he was an apostle. He knew this because of the grace of our Lord. The word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, which is a person sent. And Paul was that person sent. He was sent with a commission. Paul had been called by Christ himself, by the will of God, to be a messenger of the gospel and the good news, to build up people in their faith, to teach the word of God. And this letter was being sent to the Christians. He called them the faithful in Christ Jesus. In some of your versions, it'll say the saints. But what is it, this faithful in Christ Jesus? What an excellent reputation. What an honor that would be for all of us to be called faithful in Christ Jesus, right? Isn't that something for us to strive for? Trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Paul calls them God's holy people in Ephesus. The words in Ephesus, some believe that this letter was actually a circular letter. That it was not meant for any one congregation, but it was meant to be passed around to these different congregations, these different churches in the area. So for instance, it could be, say, to the faithful ones here in Sebastian, right? To the ones, the saints here in Sebastian that are set apart, the faithful ones right here. And Paul was recognizing them for their holiness in their life, that they were being set apart from the world. They were living for Christ. And when we believe and trust Christ as our Savior, we're taken out of this world and we're placed in Christ. And this certainly didn't indicate any sinlessness because we all know we sin, right? Each and every one of us, the only sinless one was Jesus. But every true believer possesses the Holy Spirit And it's through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit that a Christ follower is able to be set apart and to be fruitful in this world. In Romans 8, 9, it says this, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Amen? When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, it changes us, right? And now Paul's greeting, he wishes his his readers grace and peace. And he always says grace first and then peace because we cannot have true peace without having grace first. We have to receive the grace of God first before we can have that peace. And Paul uses this greeting a lot because it expresses his goodwill towards his friends and a real desire for their welfare. By grace, we receive the free and undeserved favor and love of our God. By peace, we receive all the blessings, spiritual, that are eternal, and all the material blessings that are temporary. And all of us need to have that desire, right? A desire to receive these blessings, to improve and grow in our lives and be transformed to be like Christ. In these next verses, Paul has this hymn of praise these next couple of verses are very rich. And remember, in, when Paul was writing this letter, it's almost like a run-on sentence. He keeps on going. He didn't have it broke down like we have in verses today. So Paul he's, has his thoughts, and he didn't want them broken or separated. So he has this language of like worship that he's using as well. But he puts it God-centered. And the heart of our faith is God. And Paul will remind us how important a life of worship to a Christ follower is. 
Because when we worship Jesus, we meet God, right? When we're in our worship time, we meet God during that worship. And now we'll see what God has done for us. Paul's going to list these blessings that we have in Christ. In verse 3, it says this, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul begins with thanksgiving and praise, recognizing God's goodness and his glory and giving him all the honor and praise that he is due. Then he moves to the privileges of our faith that we enjoy because of Jesus Christ, that we are being blessed and being blessed every day with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This phrase, in Christ, is used 27 times in this letter. And this describes our spiritual position as believers. These blessings are ours in the heavenly places because of Jesus Christ. They are higher, they are better, and they are more secure than any earthly blessing or any material blessing that we could have. And what Paul is saying is that that in Christ, we have the benefit of knowing God. Amen? That's the benefit we have, knowing God through Jesus Christ. In each book of the Bible, there are special themes. In Genesis, it's about the beginning. Matthew, it's about the kingdom. Galatians, about liberty. But in Ephesians, the theme there is this, that Christians' riches are in Christ. Our wealth is in the cross. He's identifying us as in Christ. And we must be seated in Christ by our faith before we can walk. Before we can walk out our faith. And for this reason, we're able to draw on our wealth from Christ in our daily living. God the Father has made us rich in Christ. And when you were born again into God's family, you were born rich. We all need to claim those promises. We need to know our spiritual wealth and claim that. The point is, all blessings come from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. You know, I saw this uh, cartoon once, and it was this lawyer, and he was reading the last will and testament to a bunch of greedy relatives, and they were just waiting to hear who was going to get this. And this guy's, and I'm going to use his name, say John Doe, right? He says, I, John Doe, being of sound mind and body, I spent it all. I spent it all. You are getting nothing. But now when Jesus wrote his will for the church, he made it possible for all of us to share in his spiritual riches. He didn't spend it all. Jesus paid it all on the cross Our wealth is in that cross, in the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul will name a few of these blessings that make up our spiritual wealth in Christ. And it's God's will, the hope of living forever with Jesus in heaven and having an intimate, personal relationship with him. Remember, I've said this before. When we get to heaven, the prize is not heaven. The prize is Jesus. When we get to heaven... The prize is Jesus Christ that we get to live with him forever for all of eternity. And we can enjoy these blessings now. These blessings from Christ in this spiritual realm, these heavenly realms, mean that these blessings are eternal. They're not temporary. 
In verse 4, it says this, and here are the blessings. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He predestined us for an adoption to the sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, the ones he loves. Amen. Now, Paul believes that he needs to give before he asks. So he's letting us know, letting the Ephesians know the blessings that God is giving before he asks us to do anything. He's letting us know our position in Christ, that we're chosen, that we're accepted, and we're predestined for adoption and sonship through Jesus Christ according to his glorious grace. Amen. Paul declares what God has done for us. God chose us before the foundations of the world. The mysteries of salvation originated in the timeless mind of God long before we existed. From this fact, we can say that our salvation rests on God's grace and his grace alone. It's nothing we can do or ever do to ever get it. God's grace is undeserved and unmerited favor that he loves us that much. It's hard sometimes to understand how God could accept us. I always struggle with that sometimes, you know, in my worst days, you know, because right now I, I'm, people call me Pastor Craig, but I was Craig a lot longer than I was a pastor. And I had some very, very bad days. And I look at those days and I wonder how God could ever accept someone like me. But the reason God can accept me and he can accept all of us is because we're holy and blameless in his sight through Jesus Christ. It's because of what he did. It's not about what we did before. It's about what he's done for each and every one of us. God chose us. And when we belong to him through Jesus, God looks at us as if we've never sinned. All we can do is receive his glorious grace and express our thanks for his wonderful love in our life. And Paul is expressing the joy of inclusion in God's love. Through Christ, you share, we share the riches of God's grace. Our heavenly father is not poor, he's rich. And he has made us rich through his son, Jesus Christ. These riches include salvation and personal transformation, but it also includes that personal and warm, confident relationship with God that we all have. And Paul will go on to explain what riches are and how we can draw, them, draw from them for effective living in this world. He has chosen us. Salvation begins with God. In John 15, 16, it says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Amen? Isn't that great? Because the lost sinner, if he's left on his own, does not seek God. A sinner doesn't seek God. A sinner seeks the way of the world. In Luke 19.10, it says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's about God and his love seeking the sinner, his grace for each and every one of us. God is gracious and freely gives salvation to everyone. 
So our salvation is wholly about God's grace. For Paul, the word predestined, it points to a security of our salvation. It means marked out beforehand, to be predetermined. And God has predestined our adoption and our conformity to be like Christ. For Paul, the word expresses the joy of inclusion in God's love and to be included in God's family, as well as our future inheritance. The goal is to include all of us in God's family. We are children of God and we are adopted. Adoption has a dual meaning, both present and future. The basic understanding of this idea of predestination and grace is knowing who God is and knowing his character, and God is love. It's about God's love. It's through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will. He chose us to be in Christ for a purpose because he wanted us all to be his children for his pleasure and his will. But being chosen has a great responsibility. And we get into the family by a new birth. In John 3, 3, Jesus said this, Very truly, I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Adoption is the act of God by which he gives his born-again ones an adult standing in the family. And he does this so that we can immediately begin to claim the inheritance and enjoy the spiritual wealth that we have in Christ. A baby cannot legally use it as his inheritance, but as an adult son or daughter of our Lord, we can and we should claim that inheritance. This means that we don't have to wait, that we can claim the riches in Christ right now, each and every one of us. We can never make ourselves acceptable to God, but it's by his grace that we are accepted in Christ. This is our eternal position that will never change as we sit with Jesus. The position which he has freely given us, the ones he loves in Jesus. Amen? We could stop right there, couldn't we? but we're not going to. We're going to keep going. (laughs) And this means that we can use our spiritual gifts. We can call on the power of the Holy Spirit because we're adopted and we can claim the promises of God. Because of God's grace, we are accepted in Christ before him. God has adopted us all as his own children and we belong to his son. Paul wrote in Philemon to encourage him to accept his runaway slave, Onesimus. He was calling him, he was writing this letter to let him know. He says, if he owes you anything, I'll pay it. Does that sound familiar, what Jesus did for us? He's telling his father, if they owe you anything, I'll pay it. I'll take care of it for him. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid for that. It says, receive me as you receive them. It shows his relationship with God and our relationship with God. And I want to ask you, have you entered into that loving relationship with God? Do you have that relationship with our Heavenly Father? Because what this verse says, this means nothing, that there is nothing more important in God's mind than his intention to redeem each and every one of us. 
He wants us all in his family. We're new persons. We're forgiven. We're set free. And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to use our spiritual gifts and to be led by the Holy Spirit in our daily lives to be fruitful for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with his riches, the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. Paul speaks of the blood of Jesus. And this is important because this was his way of talking about Jesus' death. He talked about Jesus' death through his blood. The cost of our adoption into God's family was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who willingly gave up his life so that we could all have eternal life with him in heaven. It cost God everything, and it cost us nothing. He freely gave so that we could obtain all the spiritual blessings of being a child of God. We were redeemed with a price that God was willing to pay for each and every one of us before we were even born. In Jesus, we have the redemption, and there's nowhere else that we can have that. There's no possible redemption outside the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. And this points to some wonderful truths, redemption and forgiveness. Redeem means to be purchased and set free by paying a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus. Redemption was the price paid to gain freedom for a slave. There were over 60 million slaves in, Rome, in the Roman Empire. And they were often bought and sold like personal property. But a man could purchase a slave and then set him free. And that's what Jesus did for us. He redeemed each and every one of us to release us from the slavery of sin. He died as that perfect and final sacrifice so that we could have a relationship with him, that he would draw us closer to his father. In Ephesians 2.13, it says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. We've been brought closer because we have been redeemed. Those who have been adopted have been also forgiven. Their present position before God is holy, blameless, and we are forgiven. We're free from the law. We're free from the slavery of sin. And Paul is saying our redemption, redemption and our hope depends on God and the riches of his grace alone. And Paul adds this marvelous phrase that our forgiveness is in proportion to the riches of his grace. And what that means is that his grace has no limits. There are no limits to God's grace in our life. Everything is a gift from God. God is the ultimate actor and we are the receivers of his actions, what he does. If we were slaves, we would be poor. But because of God's actions, his adopting us, we are sons and daughters of Christ and we are rich. He has lavished his riches on us. The spiritual blessings of adoption reveals God's heart and his loving and gracious heart to each and every one of us. He loves us that much. And then it says, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mysteries of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed 
in Christ to be put in effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This section has a lot to say about God's plan for his people. And it's saying that we're informed. We're informed with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mysteries of his will. What a gift that is, that we've been allowed to share the deepest secrets of God's heart. That God was not keeping his plan a secret from us. God's great plan had a purpose, and it was not hidden, but it was revealed in Jesus. The Jews thought that Christ, when he came, he was going to be a military leader and that he would overthrow Rome and that he would rebuild the temple. They had no idea that God's plan involved Christ dying on the cross and that Gentiles would be getting saved. But in this plan, the world could not be fully understood, could not fully understand what was going on until Jesus rose from the dead. The purpose of unity between the Jews and the Gentiles is one body in Christ with Christ as the head in unity. Sometimes we don't understand God's plan. I know I don't. I call them spiritual smackdowns because I get them a lot because I say, God, I don't understand what's going on. And he says, Craig, I don't need you to understand. I don't need you to understand what's going on. What I need you to do is I need you to trust and believe in me. That's all I need from you. Isaiah 55, 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen? But what we do know, we have to know in faith. We have to increase our faith daily. But when the time is right, in the fullness of time, he will bring us all together in love, in unity forever, God's redeeming love. And when the time and eternity merge together and we're united in Christ, that's the picture that Paul's trying to paint here for all of us, the future, that we'll all be children of God in heaven, enjoying his glorious grace. And then verse 11. It says this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. God's purpose is to offer salvation to everyone chosen according to his plan. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our only hope is in Christ. God is sovereign. Being predestined, we see God's plan working together. It begins with his purpose, a predetermined plan to choose each and every one of us through his will. And finally, it results in the work and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. God made his plan carefully according to an eternal purpose. He works with his wisdom. And sometimes when life seems chaotic and things just don't go our way, does anybody ever have that happen to them? Yeah, we do, right? When things just aren't going the way that we want them, we need to know that our hope rests in Jesus Christ. 
and that Jesus is our Lord and that God is sovereign. He is on his throne and he is in control. That nothing that the enemy throws against us will prosper. It doesn't matter what the evil one is trying to do. God's plan will not fail. And this verse tells us that our purpose is to put our hope in Jesus Christ and praise God and give him the glory for whatever's going on in our lives. Whether you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley, God gets the glory because he's the God of both. Remember, the word says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. And during our time on earth, our main goal is to live out these spiritual blessings, to receive these spiritual blessings, to live a fruitful life, and to bring glory to God. And how do we bring glory to God? By our example, how we live our lives. Do we live by the promises of God or the explanations of the world? We claim the promises of God and we live by them and we bring glory to him through that. That is what we do while we're here. Tell people about Jesus Christ and what he can do for them. In verse 13, it says this, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, When you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. Now Paul moves to what the church has been experiencing. The Holy Spirit was working in their lives, just like the Holy Spirit is working in our lives each and every day. And he's working here in the church and the process of salvation becomes, starts first with hearing the good news, hearing the gospel. And the Ephesians had heard this. He said, you had heard the message of the truth and the gospel of your salvation. And before I make this next point, sometimes we think it's up to us when we preach the word, when we tell people about Christ and they don't get it. They don't receive that message that sometimes you ever heard the Bible thumping that we're going to thump them on the head. We're going to keep on coming. That's not our role. We're simply to announce the truth of the gospel, invite everyone to trust God and the Holy Spirit does the rest. Our job is to tell people about Jesus Christ, what he's done in our lives and what he can do for them. The Holy Spirit His role is to convict them and to bring them to Christ. It's not our role. The Holy Spirit does that, but he uses us. That's what we have a responsibility as we're chosen to tell people about Jesus Christ. And what's the significance in the sealing of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God's seal that we belong to him and that he has pledged this guarantee that he will do what he has promised to do for us. You know, years ago, see how old we are. Did anybody know about layaway? Anybody? Yeah. Right? Layaway, you put a little bit of money down yeah. or buying a car, you put a little money down for that. But this, when we do this, this accomplishes three things. It's a guarantee that no one else will buy it or take it away. It also serves as an identity that that is mine. And last, it's a promise that I intend to come back and purchase this completely 
and the future. And that's the sealing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are God's. No other power or presence can ever take us away from him. And it's a guarantee of our future, our future in heaven with Jesus. His presence in our life acts as a seal which indicates his ownership and which has guaranteed our inheritance in Christ. God has put his seal on us because he purchased us with his own blood, redeemed and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And it speaks of this finished transaction, this finished transaction forever. In John 14, 16, it says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. You know, God knows us, and he knows that we need help, that we need guidance, so he gives us the Holy Spirit. And this also means that we have security, that we have protection. We belong to God. He has marked us out of his deep love for each and every one of us. And it's a blessing to know that we are his and that he's marked us. And today, if you know Jesus, he has marked you as well. So we are safe and we're protected because of this finished transaction. Another reason for the seal is a mark of authenticity. Just like a signature, important documents today are processed and stamped and sealed. They show a genuineness of the document. And that's what the presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer does. It proves that we are genuine believers as the Holy Spirit lives in us and through us in the world. These are the blessings from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's first installment to our eternal happiness and praise to his glory. He is our only down payment of the coming glory. Nothing else is provided and nothing else is needed. Amen. Amen. We have been redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ. And as the Holy Spirit works in our lives and transforms us and makes us more like Jesus, we will be redeemed when Jesus returns and we become more like him. Think about this and reflect on these blessings and the promises that Paul has laid out for each and every one of us. This section of scripture is so powerful. Through it, we can see how true riches come from only God, and it's because of God's incredible grace and love for each and every one of us. That he has adopted us as his children so that we can use our rich spiritual inheritance to bring him glory each and every day. As we start to begin to comprehend, even in a small way, the magnificence of what God intended to do and the purpose for us, we will gain a whole new perspective of the meaning of life. The goal of God's ultimate plan is to glorify him. And we have the guarantee until we are completely purchased by God through our resurrection and our glorification that our purpose is always to bring praise and glory to God. Church, we live by faith and God calls us all to move forward. And moving forward, he's called us to bring him glory. And this movement that we have is to place our trust in Jesus Christ and that he will give us the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing us a full inheritance to come and all the blessings and the spiritual wealth in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you today, if you don't have this guarantee 
of being in God's family and receiving your full inheritance, I want to give you that opportunity today. I want to give you that opportunity to receive your full inheritance as a child of God. And the spiritual blessings that come from God are wealth and are riches that are in Jesus Christ. If you don't have that guarantee, I want to give you that opportunity. If you'll just bow your heads right now and we'll pray this prayer. But if you don't have that guarantee in your life and you want to receive that inheritance because you know you were chosen by God, just raise your hand. It's in your heart. Yes, thank you. God sees you. Thank you. Yes. I'll give you a few more minutes. If you want to receive that inheritance to be called a child of God, just pray this prayer right now with us. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask you for forgiveness. I believe you chose me from the beginning of time and you have redeemed me by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead and I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want that guarantee. I want that inheritance, those spiritual wealth, those blessings that come from you. I want to trust you and follow you all the days of my life as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. I love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Amen.